Hey there, my name is Ben Ramos, and you are listening to the Rise Church Podcast. We are a church in southeastern Idaho that is dedicated to sound biblical theology, coupled with the authentic power of God. Our true hope is that this podcast would help you to continue to grow and taking steps in your relationship with Jesus. I hope you feel empowered today. I hope you feel encouraged today, and I hope you feel uplifted. God bless you. Enjoy the podcast. Want to open us up with our passage in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says that Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately... They left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. So this morning we are continuing on in our series as we are just kind of going verse by verse through the gospel of of Mark, we opened the story as we recognized who the author is, which is something we want to do every time we go into a Bible passage. We don't want to just turn to a page and say, I'm going to read this, and I'm going to get all the meaning out of it right here and right now. We, we've got to understand who's writing it, who he's writing it to. Uh, and so we've learned that Mark is the person who is writing here in this, uh, this gospel, also known as John Mark. He is most likely hearing this story of Jesus, this good news, this gospel message from Peter, and whether he's writing directly to the struggling Christians at the time, or God just happens to use them as such, use these words as such, that's what's taking place. That's what we see happen after this gospel of Mark is written. We see the Christians suffering in Rome. They are um, being taken and marched into these uh, big amphitheaters where wild animals are, are devouring them for sport. We're seeing Christians crucified, and Mark is writing this, and this gospel message is being used to say that Jesus is real. Jesus really did do these things. Jesus really did pay the price for, for us. This gospel message is good news. And so as this message is being uh, communicated in great turmoil, it can be really helpful for us to recognize that when we're going through seasons of turmoil, seasons of struggle, if you're going through a crucible season, this book, this message, this good news, this message of freedom and victory and faith is for you. There's something in it for us to be encouraged in here this morning. And so if you do find yourself in that struggling place, really, really just press into the gospel as we are, um, as we're pressing into it together. We saw God empower a messenger. You guys remember his name? I'm going to need some help here this morning. Who was the messenger? John, John the baptizer. So after God empowered John the baptizer to bring this message, we also saw God empower Jesus. And guess what? He's still empowering today. He's still doing that same thing today, and that opportunity is for us 
to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do the same things that we see Jesus do in the scriptures. I just felt like God wanted me to give us a reminder this morning of some of the things that he can and does do, that there's not a wall that he can't break through, that there's not a mountain he can't move, that there's no broken body that he can't raise, that there's no soul that he can't save, and that he wants to empower each of us to do these things in and through us. It's all available to us. And so as we were continuing through this gospel story, we saw Jesus be water baptized, and it was just this reminder for us. We need to be water baptized as followers of Jesus. He is our example in water baptism. And so the invitation, and I know we have, um, I think, three or so people so far who've said that they want to be water baptized, and so we're going to be scheduling that here soon. But if that's something for you, if you've never been water baptized, that this would be an invitation for you to make that step with Jesus, to be water baptized. So do let us know. We also saw that Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, again, for our example. And so all it takes for us is to go into this place of yielding and saying, God, I want to be empowered by you to do these things that we see in Scripture. And then we wait. We wait. We seek him and we wait. We saw Jesus show up on the scene last week bringing this message that still reverberates through the sound waves today. He said that the time is fulfilled. And I love the way that Pastor Cindy put it. She, she said, essentially what he's saying is this is the perfect time. And this is this right here, right now. This is still the perfect time to enter into the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God is here right now. And he gave some clear direction as to how to do that. He said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. If you happen to miss Pastor Cindy's uh, message last week, let me just say this, that it was without a doubt, definitively, the most accessible and grace-filled message about repentance that I've ever heard. For real, for real. And I've listened to a lot of those messages. I'm not just tooting a horn. I am genuinely saying that when I hear repentance talked about, it's often done from a standpoint of someone standing above you and saying, repent, repent, you're terrible, these, these types of feelings. But it was so grace-filled. So if you missed that, do go back and listen to that because report, uh, repentance is not only something that's crucial for our walk with Jesus at the forefront, right, when we give our lives to Jesus, but repentance is actually something that's required from us on a normal basis, because how many of us know that when we give our lives to Jesus, it's not all just laid out in front of us and perfect right then and there, right? The Holy Spirit continues to work through our lives, revealing the ways that we're not looking like Jesus on like a day-to-day basis. And so our, our life is to pick up our cross daily, is to lay down our lives daily, is to remind ourselves of the commitment that we have to Jesus for him to shape every single part of our lives. And we do that every single, every single day. This week, we go from the thesis of Jesus' ministry, as Pastor Cindy mentioned last week, to the thesis with traction, is, is what I'm saying. The, the thesis where the rubber meets the road. And so we move from this, this message, and here's the layman's message of the gospel that Jesus came proclaiming. He said, the kingdom of God is here now. It's right now. And right now is the perfect time to enter in. Here's how. Repent 
and believe. And what Jesus does next in these passages that we're studying through today, it's at the core of who I am. What Jesus does next is at the core of who we are as a church, yet it's something that I struggle with every single week. Here's what I mean. I was recently watching a, I don't know, a binge-worthy television show, and one of the characters says to the main character, he, he calls him a, an idealist. And I said, idealist? Idealist, what does that even mean? And so I pause it and I'm thinking through, I'm like, okay, what is, what is an idealist? It sounds like a negative term that's being used, a condescending term that's being used. And so I, I get that, it's kind of a, a, there's a negative connotation to it, but, but what, what does that mean? And as I looked it up, here's, here's what I took away from it. it. An idealist is someone who looks at future events as if everything is going to be ideal or as if everything's going to be the way that it, it should be. And as I'm watching this, I'm just realizing, I think I might be an idealist. (laughs) When I look at life, I think I might just be an idealist. And here's, here's what I mean. I came to Idaho Falls with a plan from the Lord where the Lord gave me just this vision of how we were gonna do ministry and, and I was gonna uh, lay out all of these things and had all these ideas and it was gonna be step by step and it was, it was virtually perfect and it was, it was a plan that utilized my own strengths, which is a good plan. It was a plan that utilized uh, the strengths of others to fill in where I was lacking um, and it was, it, was, it was sure to work. Y'all, this plan was sure to work. (laughs) If the transition between one pastor and another went perfectly smooth, if if COVID didn't happen, if people didn't have illnesses and, and have things happen in their life, I was sure it was going to work if everything was ideal. But it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't I, ideal. And I, I just had this thought that like, well, if directions from God, if God gives me direction for my life or for ministry or for anything else, then it's just gonna, it's gonna be perfect, right? It's going to be ideal. I don't know that that's actually the Bible. I don't, I, I, I don't because... It's definitely not outside of biblical history for God to give direction to someone to get them moving in a specific direction, thinking that they were going to a destination, only to get to that on their way to that destination and God say, actually, you're going this way and give new directions. It's just kind of the way God, God works, and he sees things a lot bigger than we do. His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts, and so I, I, just, I just realized that, man, life sometimes just isn't, isn't ideal. Let me tell you about another way that I found myself to be an idealist. I definitely don't view myself in terms of my leadership style as like a dictator, right, where I'm forcing people to do everything that I say. But... When, when I explain, or some may say, when I bensplain, 
how something is the heart of God for somebody's life, I don't like expect in an angry way that you will do this. I just genuinely expect that if it's the heart of God and people didn't know that it was the heart of God, that now they know it's the heart of God, so obviously they're going to apply it. Now, I partly think this way because I had a powerful time in my life, a powerful conversion, and I feel like possibly my early walk with the Lord was quite ideal, and that was the way I, I took it. Like, oh my goodness, I didn't know this was the heart of God for my, for my life. I, I've got to submit just everything. Boom, there, there it goes. Oh, I, I've got to live with transparency? Okay, all right, pastor, here's my phone. You can look at all of my text messages, all of my search history, all of, all of everything. I'm just going to live completely in the light. And then I realized that that isn't, that isn't everybody. That, that's not the ideal situation that happens every single, every single day. So what I've found is that when I share the heart of God and how to practically live it out, and then people aren't like automatically just, just doing it, it makes me feel like I've failed. It makes me feel like I suck as a communicator. It makes me feel like I've wasted my life to this point at doing something that I'm not effective at. What, what happened? What happened in that situation? I did what I was supposed to do, right? I, I, I obeyed. I spoke what God told me to speak. I did it the way that he told me to do it. And in ideal situations, it would be effective. But how often is the ideal situation? It's not, not very often. And so as I mope around because the ideal situation didn't happen and my close friends were like, Ben, why are you moping around? Like, you're being a little baby. Come on, let's go. What's going on with you? I tell them, uh, and they say, I, I tell them what's going on and why I'm moping around and they say something to the effect of, well, WWJD. Like, what would Jesus do? <laughs> or, or even better, like, well, what does the Bible actually say about that? And I say that in a little bit snooty way, but I'm actually really, really grateful that they do. Um, and the question of, like, what would Jesus do or what does the Bible say? And I, and I blindly reply that, well, he would preach the message with all grace and all truth because that's who he is, and then he would change the world. Right? And patiently, my friends would say, Ben, you know the Bible better than that. What did Jesus do that you did not do? I said, oh, there's that whole time in Jesus' life where he helped people to actually take those steps that he's communicated. He's given this gospel message that the kingdom of God is here. All you have to do is repent and believe. And the ideal situation is, boom, the world is now saved. Everyone has given their lives to Jesus because this is the heart of God for humanity. But the world's not ideal. And so what was the step that, that took place? And that, that step is called discipleship. That process is called discipleship. And discipleship is a word that's not directly used right here in this moment within this passage. But from this very moment, all throughout the rest of the Gospels, these followers of Jesus are, are called disciples, a disciple is someone who's a student or a learner. And so when we're talking about students or learners of Jesus, that's, that's, what, that's what they were. That's what we are. 
students and learners of Jesus. And as we talk through this morning, as we teach through this morning, I just want you to consider, like, do you know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? And how are you a disciple of, of Jesus? This term disciple was a term that was well known in Jesus' day. People were students and learners of many different things. There were Greeks who were disciples of philosophy. There were Pharisees who were disciples of procedure. There were zealots who were disciples of protest, mainly against Rome. And then the followers of Jesus were called disciples of Jesus. And they would be discipled in the words and ways of of Jesus, but here's one of the ways that Jesus, Jesus's discipleship stood out from others. The discipleship of that day, when we look at these different forms of discipleship with the Greeks, the Pharisees, the Zealots, oftentimes it would be because of the stature that that, that leader had or that rabbi, that teacher had. It, was be, it would be because of the, the clout that they had, the power that they had, the influence that they had. And so people would seek after these, these teachers and say, I want to I follow you. I, I want to follow you. I want to learn from you. I want to be shaped by you. And what makes Jesus' ministry a little bit different is that Jesus is actually the one coming after the people. He's saying, hey, follow me. Hey, I know you're fishing. I know you're doing other stuff. I know, I know you've got a job. I know you're going to school. I know you're doing these things. But hey, follow, follow me. Jesus is giving that invitation, and he began giving it, and he continues to give that invitation today to be his disciple, to be his, to be his follower. And I, I see two aspects of this invitation to uh, be a follower of Jesus that he, he declares, and I want us to consider them today. The first is the invitation to follow. We see this in Mark 1, 1.17. It says that Jesus said to them, follow me. This very clear statement. The Bible records this taking place five different times. And there obviously were probably more as this seems to be the, the norm for Jesus entering into discipleship relationships. But these five we saw here with Simon and Andrew in Mark chapter 1. James and John here in Mark chapter 1. And then you get Matthew uh, in Matthew chapter 9, we also see the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 and the unnamed person in Luke chapter 9. And, but the fascinating thing is that not everybody saw this invitation the same, the same way. And I wonder, I wonder why. I think it's because the, the, uh, the implication of following Jesus, it's not just a simple, hey, follow me, okay. Do, 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 right? There are actually big, big implications as to what this means. And I want us to consider these today as we would consider us being a follower of, of Jesus ourselves. The first thing I think we have to pay attention to is that to follow Jesus means that you must not, or, or that you must leave some things behind. You're going to have to leave some things. There isn't one instance where the invitation of discipleship didn't start with leaving something first. And so as we would say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, we have to ask that question, well, what have we left behind? What are some things that we've had to say no to? What are some things that we've had to exclude from our life? It says that 
for Simon and Peter, they immediately, uh, they immediately uh, left their nets and they followed, they followed him. For James and John, it says they left their father and the hired servants. And so right there, we got three things that were already, already left. So again, like really take a deep dive into your life and just consider some of the things that you have left. And to aid us in that, I just want to highlight a, a, a few things that people are called to leave sometimes. Have you ever seen a pastor do one of these? Just a real quick drink. You just want to get it out of the way. Just a push. Anyways, some things that you ought to leave. Uh, that. We should leave whatever that was. We should definitely leave that behind. Um, they left their, their businesses, right? So Jesus called these four men right while they were, were working. And I, I think it's important to note because you've got Christians and different Christian streams on different sides of the opposite spectrum or opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of like how God views financial things. And so we've got one side that says, once you give your life to Jesus, you're going to have perfect health. And if you're not in perfect health, that's because you've not given enough money. And so you've got to give more money and then you'll get more healthy. And then, right, right. And then you're going to be rich and you're going to have all the things, but you've got to give first. And then that, that would be called like the health and wealth type of gospel. And then on the other side, you have people saying, well, God wants you to suffer. God wants you to suffer. suffer. So you've got to give up all, everything that you've got, all, all of your money. And the, the truth of scripture is that money isn't actually right or, or wrong. It can go towards one of those. The biggest issue is who is your God? If money becomes your God, that's when you're going to have to lay it, lay it aside. Yes. But money can also be used for the kingdom of God. And so I, I just think it's important that as we look at this specific instance, we gotta, we gotta recognize that Jesus isn't coming to some guys who are um, just trying to make ends meet, right? Just trying to make it through and so they've got this job and once they, if they lose this fishing job that they're gonna lose everything and they're not gonna be able to provide for their families. That's, that's not what Jesus is actually calling them into. We, we gotta recognize who these who these fishermen were. These, these are like middle-class fishermen. It says that they had hired servants, and, and so they were like business owners. And so what they're doing is, is setting this business aside. It's going to keep going, but now they're stepping into another realm of, of business. That's uh, the business of the kingdom of God. And so uh, I, I know friends who have been called to pursue after Jesus and to set down a specific business or to, to, to set it aside and to grow in another one. And sometimes that's just God's way of, of helping us to step into his will for our life and helping us to step into how we're reaching other, other people. And so um, they left their businesses, they left their, their stability, right? It, this was something that they knew. This was a lifestyle that they were comfortable with. Anybody else relate with that? Comfortable in life, right? We have our routines. I wake up at whatever time. I get out. Uh, I go to the, the Starbucks. I get the same drink every time. They already know my drink. It's already waiting for me when I get there. All, all, all this stuff. We have our, our routines. Same, same with these fishermen. They knew fishing. They know how to do it. 
they, they, they were around family, people that they knew. They were, they were comfortable around these people. They had a normal daily life that they were, they were going after and living on a normal basis. And now Jesus is calling them to leave this stability. I wonder if Jesus has ever called you to leave behind some of the stability or comfort in, in your life. I know, I know I have. I know I have. They left, they left their, their families as, as well. I just picture that moment when uh, James and, and John are like, you know, they're, they're fishing with their dad and, and their hired servants, and then some guy comes up and is like, hey, follow me. And they're like, all right, dad, we're out. <laughs> I, if I'm that dad, I'm like getting my belt out and be like, excuse me, boy? What are you talking about? There were some major implications of following Jesus, and that meant that they had to leave some things behind, and discipleship requires us to leave some things behind, and it's not just even initially. God can, as we're walking with him, keep revealing stuff that we need to leave behind, but oftentimes when this is communicated, uh, people forget this, this next part. Because they, they make this picture out to be that like God is demanding all of these things from you. He just wants, he wants to like kick you a little bit. He's got to kick you into submission a little bit. Like you've, you've got to know that you've, you've lost this. But really what setting things aside does in your life is it creates more room for God to move in, in your life. And so what you're, do is, you're, what you're doing is just you're creating you're creating more room. So when, when you leave something behind to follow Jesus, it opens space for Jesus to fill it. And I, I just felt like that was for somebody who's approaching a, 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 a circumstance in your life where Jesus is asking you to do more with him. But that means you're gonna have to give, a, give, give some things away. You're gonna have to say no to some, some things but it's, it's going to benefit you. It's going to benefit you. It's, it's opening up space for Jesus to fill, which is kind of the next aspect of this, is that to follow Jesus means that you must learn his ways. That was another major implication of following after Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. It says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. And this is the concept with the discipleship, that we are being fully trained to look like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did. We used to do this conference back, back with our, our mentor, uh, Pastor Ben Dixon, where we would, it was a, a conference called Continuing the Ministry of Jesus. Because this is our heart, that Jesus' ministry was never meant to stop that we're to continue after this ministry empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. And through discipleship, we're becoming fully, fully trained. And so follow me meant observe Jesus, observe everything he's doing, observe how he does it, and then ask the question, why? Why are you doing this? And so as you think about your own lives as disciples of Jesus, as discipling people unto Jesus, you, that's a, a great framework to, to have, is looking at the person or people who are discipling you and asking the question of, 
Oh, why did, you, why did you do it that way? Why did you say this that way? Why did you, when you prayed over this person, or like, why did you know to stop to pray for this person? It's asking these questions. And so to just prepare ourselves, if you're not in that frame of reference, that frame of mind to be asking these types of questions, get there, begin asking, why'd you do this? And for some people that may come off as like, questioning authority or something like that. But I think it's biblical. I think it's important that we be asking those questions of help me through this process because I want to look more and more like Jesus. And if you're mentoring me or leading me or discipling me in the ways of Jesus, then let's begin to to talk that out. Also consider this in the way that you read and study your Bible. Are we reading it and looking at it as some like random story Are we looking at it, reading it, and studying it as like historical artifact? Or are we looking at it as material to be reproduced in my own life and in other people's lives? The goal behind following Jesus is to be fully trained in the words and the ways of Jesus such that we can fully train others. And Included in this invitation is not just to follow, but also to become. Right? It says in Mark 1.17 that, and Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of of men. Jesus is calling you to become something. Jesus is working in you to become something. And to become looks like a few different things. To become like Jesus means, number one, that you have a a new identity, that you look at yourself different. When you look in the mirror, when you give your life to Jesus, you recognize there's something something different. There's a new identity. And sometimes that doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come easy. And that's something that we've got to like really, really press through. If you're in your first few years of following after Jesus or maybe returning to Jesus, this is something you've got to constantly like look at yourself and just proclaim this identity. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And just speaking that over, over yourself. This is who I am. I've been saved. I've been set free. I've been healed. We're declaring these things on a normal basis. Sometimes declaration is so helpful just to overcome our own flesh. Because for how many years our flesh has been declaring to us who we are, and this world has been declaring to us who we are, and now we get to say, no, 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 no. In Jesus, this is who I am now. So it takes some time. And so if you're in those stages, I just want you to be encouraged. Like, there is a struggle in remembering that identity and getting that identity firmly rooted. And so press into that if you're in that season. Press into that, that identity. Matthew 16, 24 says that, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is such a countercultural statement. Because everything about the culture in, in uh, human, uh, human sexu- uh, uh, secularism, um, humanistic secu- secularism, I can't even say the word, but it, that's how confusing the world is. Let me tell you that. You can't even make the statements. But um, it, 
they're constantly, in this world, is constantly trying to uh, get us to believe that. It's all about how I feel. It's all about what I want. It's, it's, all, about, it's all about me when the gospel is that flipped upside down. It's about denying self. It's about following after Jesus. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you are not the Lord of your life anymore. Now it fully and completely belongs to him. And so there's that daily reminder where we have to wake up. And, and honestly, practically, sometimes what this literally looks like is us just declaring that over our lives. That the old me is, is dead. I am putting to death those things that I used to walk in. Even, even just yesterday, and I will deny the, the self-gratification. I'll, I'll deny the things that I want. I will follow after you, Jesus. Amen. It's time to uproot some of these false identities. What's a false identity? Anything that comes against what Jesus would speak over you. And so if you're not seeing that identity that you're believing about yourself in the Bible, then it's time to weed that out. I think there should be, and as we consider, am I, a, am I truly a disciple? Am I walking in discipleship? Am I a disciple of Jesus? There should be clear differentiation between who you were, with, who you are, were without Christ and who you are with Christ. And that goes for if you gave your life to Jesus at a really, really young age or an older age. We, we should be able to say that without Christ, I'm, I'm angry. Without Christ, I'm I'm addicted. Without Christ, I'm I I would be dead. Right? There's a clear differentiation. But now that I have Jesus, I've found life. Now that I've found Jesus, I've found joy. Now that I've found Jesus, I've found freedom. There should be this clear differentiation. And it's really helpful, again, just practically to, to write these things out. Without Jesus, here's what my life looks like. And with Jesus, here's, here's what it looks like. And as we develop that list, what life looks like without Jesus and what life looks like with Jesus, this is actually your testimony. This is practically how you form your testimony and get to share it with other people. Look what Jesus did in my life. I believe he can do it in yours and far greater things. The Apostle Paul said this when he was writing to the Roman church in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Jesus, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, be, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among his Brethren, And so this, this Greek word that's used for according to his purpose is prothesis. It means the aim or objective or the goal. Here's, here's when I, I think of this, I think of it like in a picture form, that we are this dot here and Jesus is this dot here and we are moving in this direction. We're moving upward. We're being shaped into this picture right here. We're moving in this direction. And so the question in our lives on a normal basis should be, am I progressing on this graph? Am I progressing in this picture? Am I moving to look more and more like Jesus? Now, we can answer that from um, just kind of like a laissez-faire attitude and be like, yeah, sure. But you really want to go deep? 
you really want to grow with Jesus? Then let's start marking out when was that last time that I made a choice or a decision or that my life looked, began looking more and more like Jesus? What was that situation? Where is that next situation going to be? It's this constant pressing in because if this scripture is true, my life should be a constant pursuit of, of that goal. To become like Jesus also means that you have not only a new identity, but a new destiny. Worship team, if you guys could uh, make your way up. So the, the fishermen were told that you are no longer going to catch fish. Now you are going to reach people. Now you're going to reach after people. And so Jesus took just average fishermen and gave meaning and purpose to their lives. And he does that with us. And as you're considering, like, what's my destiny? What, what, what's my destiny? Your destiny is not about the job that you do. Your destiny is about the people you serve and the people that you reach. That's, that's what your destiny is about. You can do that being a doctor. You can do that being a paralegal. You can do that being a dental hygienist, I think. <laughs> you, you, can, you can do that being any, any job in the world. Your destiny is about who, who you serve. And so ask yourself this question. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means I'm serving people. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means I'm reaching people. So who are you serving? Who are you, who are you reaching? And I, again, whenever I really just press in with some of these real life stuff, I want to be sure that you understand it's not coming from a place of condemnation, like terrible you for, for not serving people or not reaching people. It just means, okay, it's time to refocus my life. It's time to refocus my life. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. This is what this means. How do we do that? Well, number one, we can pray for opportunity. It's got to start there. God, show me opportunities to serve people. Show me opportunities to love people. Because I get really good at walking through life without seeing everything else going on around me. But when I get intentional about asking God to Open these blind eyes, Lord. Help me to see the world around me the way that you do. What's that song say? Break my heart for what breaks yours. Like, give, give me that. And it's just like that. A dime flips and my eyes are open. And you're seeing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of people who just need to be loved, who maybe they just need to hear that they are loved, that they're seen. It could be as simple as, dude, I like that hat. Or uh, we were at lunch earlier this week, and, and I just told the waitress, I'm like, you're so full of joy. Like, you, you have genuinely made this lunch experience such a, such a blessing. Thank you so much. And th simply that type of statement can change the trajectory of someone's life. Speaking life over people, speaking life into people, those encouraging things. So pray for opportunities. Maybe that's something you gotta just add into your New Year's resolution. I know we've all left those already by this point, but 
Come on. Pray for opportunity. Number, number two would be to look for those opportunities. Look for God to answer your prayers. When you pray, we pray with the expectation. We're not holding on to any doubt that God's going to do it. We're going to expect God's going to do that. So if I'm praying for God to show me uh, opportunities to serve and to love people, now I'm going to start looking around everywhere that I go, even when I'm driving. I'm just like looking around. Hey, this lady picking her nose. I'm going to pray over her. In Jesus' name, no blood, right? We, whatever, whatever it is, we're looking for those opportunity. And then this can be the hard part sometimes is run towards that opportunity and just set it in your heart right now that when God opens those doors of opportunity for me to serve and to lead people to Jesus and to love on people, I'm, I'm going to do it no matter what it looks like. Because when, when we get there and we haven't made that decision, it's easy to say, I'm, I'm busy. I got to get to a meeting. I got other stuff going on. I've, you know, I didn't do my hair this morning or I forgot to mouthwash the second time or whatever it is, you know. We're going to make up some excuse, but just make the commitment. I'm going to pray for opportunities to love and reach people. I'm going to look for opportunities and I'm going to run towards that opportunity. Hey, thanks again for tuning in with us today. I really do hope and pray that this message has been transformative in your life to help you to take steps in relationship with Jesus. If this has been a blessing to you, there are several things you could do in order to give honor where honor is due. Uh, we would love if you would give us a like, go ahead and give us a subscribe, go ahead and share us, tag us, uh, quote us, do all of those things in your social media feeds. We would be so blessed by that. If you have any more questions or need any more information about who we are, what we believe, or if you'd like to give towards the forwarding of ministry here through Rise Church, you can do so at www.risechurchid.org. God bless. Have a great week.